welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. Uh, we are in a teaching series right now that is on the one anotherings of Scripture. So what that means is throughout, especially in the New Testament, there's many places where the authors of the New Testament, a lot of them come from Paul, but some of them come from Jesus, some of them come from Peter. But there's these verses that say, hey, in your life together, this is how you should treat one another. And they're always instructional because they're often countercultural to the culture around them. Oftentimes they're, they're pastoral and saying, hey, here's what's happening in the world around you. Here's, what it, here's how your life as a, as a body of believers, followers of Jesus should be different. And, um, and so we've been just working our way through those. Today we're on one called Greet One Another by Name. And um, if, you, if you were here a few weeks ago, we did one that was uh, Welcome One Another to the Table. And then the subtext was Despite Differences Over the Menu. And that was about, about recognizing that as a church, we could af- actually be in different places about many issues that are not close-handed issues, that, uh, that there's issues that, that we might have different perspectives on, and we can still gather around the table because our, our primary focus is on Jesus. Today, when we talk about greet one another by name, we're going to take a slightly different angle on that. And here's what we're going to do. Let me just set this up by saying, uh, a few, several years ago, uh, I was at a vineyard leadership team meeting in... Um, I think this was in Ohio, I want to say. And this is a bunch of vineyard pastors from around the nation had gathered for a, a few days of, of uh, conferencing and, and leadership training and development. And um, as we were there, the very first night, a whole bunch of us were, we, we were all in the same hotel. So it was a good chance for us to, to get together and reconnect with one another. And several of us were sitting at a table just down in the lobby. And just as people were coming in and checking in, everybody was saying hi and coming over. So it was just this kind of this flow of people. But there's this one pastor at the table who kept, no matter who came to the table, he would, he would at one point, he'd say, hey, and he'd, he'd greet him by name, and he'd say, tell me about how you met Jesus. And it was just this amazing question that then just created this open doorway, this invitation to share their story. And I, I'm, and I knew people, I, I knew most everyone who came to that table throughout the next, we probably did that for an hour and a half to two hours. And I knew most of the people who came to the table but many of them, I'd never heard their faith story. I'd never heard the story about how they came to Jesus. And it was just such a beautiful t- tool. I thought, I want to put that in my pocket. I want to I hold on to that. Because that's such a, an amazing way to get to the core of, of who people are and to share those stories. It, 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 it awakened faith in us. And here we are, we're a group of pastors, but we're hearing stories about how different ones of us came to Jesus. And it, and it stirred faith in us. It, it, it awakened faith. And it, and it was just very life-giving. So this morning, we talk about greet one another by name. I want to give you that tool. And the way that we're going to do this is we're actually going to listen to the faith story of the pastor that effectively became the founder of the Vineyard Movement. You'll hear us talk about him at times, but if you don't have a Vineyard background, you may not know who he is. He's, his name is John Wimber, and he was a, an ordinary guy who believed in an extraordinary God. And this morning, we're going to listen to the story of how he came to faith in Jesus. And so this is a, a video that was actually recorded as the first session of a, um, it was like a, a three to four day training. It was probably 10 sessions. This was just the introductory session of his testimony to say, well, here's how I met Jesus. And included in this testimony, in, embedded in it, is some of the DNA about who we are. So I want to share that with you. Uh, you may have seen this uh, before. If you've been around the vineyard for a long time, you may have seen it. Uh, maybe you're new to the vineyard, and for you, vineyard is just a local church. Well, we're actually part of a network of, of, of local churches, national churches, and even global churches. And so this is kind of like, welcome to the vineyard. Um, here's who we are. So that said, here's uh, John Wimber's testimony. And so without anything further, I'd like to introduce my friend and the speaker for the seminar, John Wimber. I'd like to share a little bit about my personal background. 
I grew up here in Anaheim. I moved here from the mid in the mid from the Midwest in 1946, uh, and lived over near what is now Disneyland. So you can see I haven't come in very far in life. <laughs> I'm only about eight blocks from where I began my career. I was uh, a typical pagan, coming from the pagan pool in America. There are approximately 90 million people here that do not have a church relationship of any sort. As I examined my history and background and dialogued with my family members, I discovered that uh, no one in my family for four generations had had any kind of church affiliation. Although we'd been raised largely in the Bible Belt in Missouri and Kentucky, we had uh, become a gospel-hardened people, a people that knew about the claims of Christ but had no intention of obeying and or relating to them in terms of a personal relationship. By the time I came along, we were no longer talking about it within the context of the family. And so I grew up without any personal relationship with Christ and any uh, first-hand information concerning his claims or his uh, uh, person and what he had done. The first time that I met a Christian, and somebody asked me one time, they were challenging me on this point, and they said, you mean you grew up in, in America? And you never met a Christian? And I said, well, if I did, he didn't blow his cover in my presence. <laughs> the first time that I remember meeting a Christian was a, when a friend of mine, who will be playing drums here tonight when we have another worship service, came to see me in Las Vegas, and on the way stopped and bought a fifth of gin. <laughs> that was his wife laughing. And they bought a fifth of gin because they knew I liked gin, and they bought this gin and drank it on the way to Las Vegas because it got very cold, and arrived rather inebriated, drunk for those of you in the front row. <laughs> and we went out and had an evening together, and uh, uh, the next day they were both very, very chagrined. And we didn't understand why they were so embarrassed. Well, the truth was they were brand new Christians, and they had come on this pilgrimage of preaching Christ to us. <laughs> and along the way, had been inundated. I'm not sure that they've had a drink since in the last 20 years. And so instead of sharing us, with us the message of Christ, they shared a message of embarrassment. But a few weeks later, they made it good. We'd come back home by then. And uh, Dick came over one day and sat down with me and told me that he'd become a Christian. And I said, what's that? Isn't everybody in America a Christian? And he said, no. He said, I'm a born-again Christian. And we, then we began having the dialogue of Nicodemus and Jesus. And I said, what do you mean, born again? Do you have to enter your mother's womb? And he said, no, no, no. It's not a physical birth. It's a spiritual birth. You have to have a second birth. You have to be born again spiritually. Well, I didn't understand what he meant, and, and we talked for an hour or so, and then we went off into other subjects. But over the next few weeks and months, Dick came by regularly and shared with us. My wife and I had already gone through a, uh, a process in which we were hungry for God. We had uh, purchased a Bible uh, just a few months before that and began reading it. But, but before I develop that story, I don't want to get ahead of myself, we had uh, also gone through a long and difficult time in our marriage and we're really very ripe and harvestable people, but we were so limited in our understanding. We didn't know the first thing about Christianity. Some months before this occasion in which Dick came, I, I had gone to Las Vegas to work with one of the groups that I was working with at the time. I was a, uh, at that time I had a show group, but I was also developing uh, a rock and roll group called the Righteous Brothers. And while I was there, um, uh, in Las Vegas, I went through an experience. My wife and I had been separated for a few months, and I went through an experience that, uh, that, that began, uh, for me, marked the beginning of my spiritual trek towards Christ. Uh, what had happened was that I had, uh, in the heartbreak of separation and all the pain and agony that goes with that, I had uh, been seeking God in my own way. Now, it's difficult when the only people you know are musicians and druggies and alcoholics and bartenders and waitresses. And I mean, that's the only people I could have dialogue. That's who I was getting my marriage counseling from. You can imagine how good it was. 
And I was having dialogue with them about religion. And they were saying, oh yeah, you know, I'm into religion. And, and we talked about all kinds of diverse religions. One guy recommended that the best thing I could do is when I got off work, and by the way, I worked a late night shift, and that was a, a kind of a prestigious thing to do in Las Vegas. The later you worked, the more important your musical group was because that kept people up. And uh, I would get off at four in the morning and I began driving out into the desert and watching the sun come up because someone told me that that was a good way to, to groove on a religious experience. <laughs> and so I had done that a couple times, you know, sat out there and watched the sun come up. And uh, nothing happened, you know, I, nothing special anyway. But this one day, I was driving out there in the morning, and as I was driving, I began reflecting on where things were in my life. I was, everything was a mess. My relationship with my wife was not good, and my kids, and, and everything was a mess, you know. My career was zooming, I was doing well in that area, but I was an unhappy guy. And I was driving along and I began weeping. Now, I had, I had learned one thing in, in my 28 years as on the earth, and that was that a man ain't supposed to cry. You know that one? And so I'm driving along, and I begin weeping, and I'm embarrassed. I was not only embarrassed, I was humiliated. And I thought, oh no, I'm, I'm, oh no, this is weird, this is really weird. And I was crying more and more, and I began sobbing. And finally I had to pull over to the side of the road, get out of the car. I walked around for a while, cussing and kicking the cactus, and trying to get a hold of myself. And I think it grows more dramatic with the telling, but I, at one point... <laughs> You weren't there, were you? <laughs> at one point, I, I stopped and I looked up at the heavens and for the first time in my life, I saw the stars and constellations as, as something emanating from someone. And I remember standing there, I was sort of awestruck and I said, oh God, if you're there, help me. And I wept for a couple moments and then all of a sudden this deep shame come, came over me and I thought, oh no. Oh no, now you've, oh, you've really done it. Now you're talking to the dark. You've gone over the edge. Uh, well, the only thing left is I'll go commit myself into the hospital. But then I remembered that part about my mother in the underwear, and so I thought, well, I'd better go by the, the hotel and change before I go to the hospital. <laughs> you know that part? From that high, I've been learning that one. And so, <laughs> and so I went on, uh, I went by the hotel, and when I walked in the hotel, besides that, I had some drugs that I thought I'd better put away in case I was in that, ho in that hospital very long. And so I went, I went by the hotel, and when I walked in the hotel uh, lobby, the night clerk yelled at me, said, hey, John, there's a message here from your wife. And I said, from my wife? It can't be from my wife. I mean, my wife wouldn't even talk to me anymore. I mean, it can't be for my wife. And he said, yeah. I said, call this number. So I went over to the lobby phone and I dialed it. And sure enough, my wife answered the phone. I said, well, what do you want? And she said, well, I've been thinking it over. And she says, I've decided to give it one more try. Come and get me. And when she said that, it was like a blow to my chest. I fell back against the wall and I thought, wow, I'm in touch with the supernatural. <laughs> because I realized suddenly that I had... Uh, that there was a connection between that oh God if you're there help me and my wife responding and I said when did, when did you do this when did you decide this she said about a half an hour ago and I thought ah <laughs> you know, I got her you know and so I said well I'll be right there now I was in Las Vegas and we lived down by Newport Beach Fountain Valley actually in those days and I got in a car and I drove there in three and a half hours now for those of you that <laughs> are not from Southern California. You don't know how hard that is to do, but I drove fast. Anyway, I remember I, <laughs> I got in the car and I'm driving along and I'm, ex I'm excited and, I'm, and, I'm, and I, I said my second prayer. My first prayer was, oh God, help me. And now I said, add a baby God, you know? <laughs> and I, <laughs> you know, you really got her that time, you know? Because <laughs> I had been trying to get my wife to, to straighten up for a year, you know? <laughs> And I couldn't get her straightened out. And so I'm driving along and I, and I started talking to him. About, I figured, well, you know, I'm on a roll. So I started talking to him about everything. You know, how about this and how about that? Why don't you do this? And, and you know, and I, was, I thought I might as well, now that I got plugged in, I might as well just talk about it all. So I get home 
Now you've got to understand that this had been a really bad year. And I'd gone through a, a very difficult time. I was drinking very heavily and I was using drugs and I was working very long hours and sleeping two and three hours a day. And I was, in, I was yellow from smoke. I smoked five packs of cigarettes a day. You know, my nostril, I was, I mean, you just, and, and I was skinny. I weighed 150 pounds. And for me, that's skinny, super skinny. I probably was in better condition then than I am now. Anyway, <laughs> and so I appear at the door and there's my wife and she's got the kids all bundled up and everything's ready and we stuff them in the car and we're backing out of the driveway and I turned to her and I said, I'm in touch with the supernatural. <laughs> and I can still remember she went, who? <laughs> her hands sort of fluttered to her breath. And I said, God. She said, oh, well, everyone knows God. And I said, not me. I've been talking to him. She said, well, that's called prayer. Don't you know about praying? I said, no. And suddenly she became a religious expert. <laughs> and for the next hour, we talked about God. You know, we'd never really talked about God before. We'd been married seven years, and we'd never talked about God. And she told me all kinds of things about God. She told me about Mary, and she told me about the catechism, and she told me about the... Oh, she told me God had a book out. And I said, I said, no kidding. She, I said, what's it called? She said, it's called the Bible. I said, God wrote that book? And she said, yes, that's God's book. He wrote that book. I said, well, when did he do that? She said, oh, a long time ago. I said, no kidding. I said, have you ever read it? And she said, yeah, I've read it. I said, all of it? And she said, well, I've read lots of it. I said, no kidding. I said, well, where do you get a book like that? And she said, oh, you can buy them in the stores. I said, I never saw any in the stores. Well, she said, you've been going in the wrong stores. She said, you, you can get one. And so that day, I got, I got back to Las Vegas that afternoon, and I put my family in. We uh, rented a condominium. I put my family in there, and I decided to go down and buy a book, a Bible. Now, the problem was the only places I shopped was like the casino stores and things like that. And it's not easy to buy a Bible in Las Vegas in the casino stores. And so I went to several of them, and uh, finally this one lady says, you're not going to find a Bible here. And I said, you know, I'm beginning to believe that. I said, where would you go if you wanted a Bible? She said, go across the street. And she said, uh, there's a book rack, and on the book rack there's a Bible. Now, my wife had been very careful to describe to me what Bibles look like. She says they're black, and it says Holy Bible on the side of them, or on the back of them. And uh, I said, is it black? I didn't want anybody to put anything over me, you know. I, I said, is it black? She said, well, I don't think so. And I said, well, then it can't be a Bible. And she said, I think it's a Bible. Go on over there. So I went over to the drugstore, and sure enough, on the, I, I asked the clerk, and she, she went over, and she got this green book. It was paperback, and she took it down, and it said, New Testament, New English New Testament. And I said, that's not a Bible. And she said, yeah, it's a Bible. It's half a Bible. And I said, it's half a Bible? <laughs> I said, what do you mean it's half a... This thing was getting complicated, you know? I said, what do you mean it's half a Bible? And she said, it's half a Bible. I said, you selling it for half price? And she said, no, but take it, you'll like it. Well, I found out later you can't get saved reading that translation. <laughs> and I told the guy, shh, God doesn't know that because that's the one I read. And it worked for me, you know? Well, anyway, I got the book home and I started reading it. You ever read that book? That's a weird book. It's all about Jewish people. I started reading. I read about seven or eight pages and I went into my wife and I said, this is all about Jewish people. And she said, well, I know that. She said, God's Jewish. <laughs> I said, I said, oh, come on. Is he really? You know. Now, keep in mind, I didn't have any prejudice about Jews because I had worked with Jewish people all my life. I'd been in the entertainment industry, in the garment industry before that, and, and uh, you know, and all through show business and record industry. Every place I worked, I worked with Jewish people. It wasn't any antagonism towards them being Jew. That was just news to me that God was a Jew. I didn't know, you know. And so we tried to read the book. Well, I, uh, I started taking it with me to work. Now, when I went to work at night, we, we worked the midnight shift from midnight till four, and we would do a show, and then we would have an intermission while another group did a show, and then we would go back. We were a lounge act. And so during the intermissions, I was taking my Bible, and I was going in and sitting down at the bar, and, and uh, they had these little spin lights, you know, over the bar, and I was, I was sitting there reading one night. And the bartender came over and said, 
what you reading? And I said, the Bible. And he said, you shouldn't read it here. And I said, why not? The light's good. And he says, no. Nah. He says, you shouldn't read it. It's beside. I said, he says, that's not the real Bible anyway. And I, I slammed it down. I said, I knew it. I said, what's the real Bible like? And he says, well, they're black. And I thought, all right. You know, this guy knows. He knows what it is. And I said, and it says Holy Bible on it. And he says, yes. And, he, and I said, well, where do you get them? He says, well, you buy them at the Bible bookstore, dummy. I said, the Bible bookstore? And he said, yeah. He says, there's one down the street. And so I went right into the lobby and looked up in the yellow pages. And sure enough, right down the street, there was a Bible bookstore. So I got in my car and drove down there, and it was closed. <laughs> missing a lot of business clothes. You know, the sinners are out at that time of night. And so I, I went back to him and I said, they're, they're closed. He said, well, he says, you can get it in the morning. And he, and he wrote a note down. He said, just give him this note and you'll get the real true Bible. And so the next morning, I waited down there. I got off the a shift at four o'clock, went down there and parked and waited. And about 8.30, this woman came and opened the door and I followed her in. She was a nice lady. And I said, I want to buy a Bible. And she says, oh, good. And then I found out there's all kinds of Bibles, you know, lots of Bibles. You've got big Bibles and little Bibles. And she said, what kind of Bible do you want? I said, I don't know. And I pulled this note out and I handed it to her. And on it, it said, the King James Virgin. You know? <laughs> she laughed too. Anyway, the next thing I know, about 10 minutes later, I'm walking out the door and I'm the proud owner of a Bible. It's got Moroccan leather, you know, and it's got little finger tabs, you know, and it's got a concordance in the back and a oh, it was wonderful. And so I took it home and I sat down to read it. I was so excited. I was so excited. Now about 10 o'clock in the morning, I sat down to read it and I can't understand a thing. Have you ever tried to read that book? That's the weirdest book. I, well, I opened up to Ezekiel, you know. <laughs> That's a weird dude, man, at Ezekiel. Well, anyway, I was very disappointed. So I'm talking to my wife about it, and I'm saying, look, this book's hard to read. And she said, I know, it's really difficult to understand. That's why people read it over and over again, you know. I mean, they've got to read it more than once. And she said, yeah. And I said, you know, God is hard to get connected with. It's hard to find God, you know. Well, over the next few weeks and months, we continued our, the process daily of, of reading the Bible. We found after a week or two that, we, that somebody recommended a series of books for children on the Bible. We found out we could buy them at the same bookstore. We went and got them, and we would read these little children's books, and then we would read the Bible. And that was working out pretty good. And after about three months, we decided to leave Las Vegas and go back home. We hadn't been home more than a week or so when my friend Dick came over to see me. He began sharing with us, and now we had a, a, someone that was a living witness. And over the next few weeks, he began talking to us about Jesus and what Jesus could do for us. Well, one of the weirdest things happened was they invited us to church. You ever been to church? Come on, own up. You ever been to church? Well, one morning at 7 o'clock, now keep in mind, I didn't get home normally until about 2 o'clock. So at 7 o'clock, my wife's pushing me and saying, we're going to church, get up, we're going to church. I'm saying, hot dog, you know, I don't, I don't want to go to church. Why do they have it so early in the morning? She said, well, you got to go, we got to drive her up to Yorba Linda because that's where God was in Yorba Linda <laughs> at Dick and Lynn's church. And so we got dressed and we got in the car, you know, and it took us a long time. We couldn't find the kids' shoes and we, and we got in the car and by then I was mad and we got in a bit, you know, argument and, and we found out later it was the tradition that you're supposed to <laughs> argue. <laughs> all the way to church, but we didn't know it, you know, we, but we were already into the thing, and we, we argued all the way up there, and we finally get there, and it's, it's a little old building, you know, I remember I drove up in front of it, and I thought, this place is hurting, you know, <laughs> old and everything, and they got one of these marquees out in front, you know, with, a, with what's on for the day, and I'm looking at that, and I thought, that doesn't look interesting, you know, I didn't even know what it was talking about, the next thing I know, I'm, we're out of, the, out of the car, and we're walking uh, up these steps, and I suddenly realized that I'm the only one there smoking. And I thought, hey, this is 1963. <laughs> Don't you guys know how, you know? And, and I, so I started looking for an ashtray. 
You ever look for an ashtray in one of those places? I couldn't find one for anything, you know. I finally put it out on the ground. And some guy with a flower looked at it. <laughs> then another weird thing happened. I noticed that everybody talked real loud. Hi, how are you? They said, you know. And you can put your child over here. And I'm not going to put my child over there. You know, I don't know what was going on. This is the weirdest thing I had ever been to. And, I mean, I've been in and out of bars for years, and nobody had ever treated me this way. And so I'm, I'm walking real close to my wife because I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I, you know, I didn't know what was next. And we walk in through this building, and this guy hands us a menu. And, <laughs> and I'm looking at it, and, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me at all, you know. And we're walking along, and my kids, I, I, Chris was on one hand, and Tim's on the other hand, and Carol's got uh, uh, Sean under her arm, and we'd put Stephanie in this thing. They said they'd give her back later on, <laughs> but we weren't sure. And we're, we're walking through there, and uh, uh, one of the kids says, Hey, Daddy, what's that? I said, Hell, I don't know. <laughs> and my wife turned around and said, Shh, Don't cuss. <laughs> and I said, I'm not cussing. I'll show you cussing. <laughs> that's all we were good at in those days was fighting and so we finally get seated and they made us set right down in the front row did they ever do that to you all the back seats were full and then and we had to <laughs> and we're sitting there and we got this you know we're looking at this menu and, and we don't know what's going to happen. The next thing I know, these three guys walk in. And they're real nice looking guys. They all got suits on. And they, they come in and they sit down. And one guy sort of bounces up and comes up to a thing that looks sort of like this. And he says, good morning. And I thought, well, that's a nice way to open the show, you know, real friendly. And he said, let us pray, our Father and our God. I thought, what's that? So I turned to my friend Dick and I said, what's the matter with his voice? He said, I don't know, they all sound like that. <laughs> he says, I think they get it at seminary. <laughs> and this guy, and he finished praying, I guess, and then he sat down and another guy came up and said he was going to ministry, give the ministry of the word. And so they began reading the Bible. Now, keep in mind, all these weeks we had been reading the King James Bible, but we'd never read it out loud. We didn't know what it sounded like. And the guy started speaking, and I thought, oh no, he's got a speech impediment. He lists. <laughs> and I turned to my wife and I said, listen to that poor guy. She said, oh, I know, I know. And she said, well, there's, you know, there's no better place to hire the handicapped than <laughs> the church. And I thought, this place is weird. And then they started singing these songs. You ever, you ever heard a congregational song? We had a guy standing right behind us. He wasn't that close to any note on the page. You know? I mean, not that close. And I thought any minute those guys with the flowers, you know, better get rid of this dude. You know, he's not gonna he's not gonna last long here. And then the next thing, I, you've never been to church. The next thing that happened. The next thing, I mean, this is really weird. The next thing that happened on the thing, it said that the choir was going to minister. And when the choir stood up to sing and they hit the first note, I said, this is no choir. This is a pickup group. Surely they couldn't have rehearsed and sound that bad. It was awful. I listened to it, I listened to it, I listened to it. Now, it's an interesting thing. You know, when a, when a, a speaker speaking or a choir is singing, and people are listening to them, there's two jobs going on at the same time. I found out that I finished my job a lot sooner than they finished their job. <laughs> I was through before they were. In any case, they sang for a while, and then this gal sang a solo. <laughs> anyway, this gal sang a solo. This is the kind of gal that comes up and introduces her song about, you know, that God's given me this voice and I'm going to give it back to him. And God goes, no. <laughs> she had a vibrato that went at least five notes. 
she was in any of three keys at any time <laughs> that she wanted to be there. Now these were lovely people, please understand that, but this was my impression that first day. The next thing I know, this guy's preaching, and I don't know what he's talking about. And I'm listening, and I'm listening, and I'm counting the tiles, and I'm, my kids are squirming, and they want to go, and they're talking to me, and they have to go to the bathroom, and they can't go to the bathroom because of the guys with the flowers. And, the, and it's going on and 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 on. And I'm thinking, this is really bad news. I got to get out of here. First of all, I hadn't gone 40 minutes without smoking in years. I was hurting, you know, my nose was draining, you know. Oh, it was awful. So I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I, this has got to stop. This has got to stop. And all of a sudden, I knew it was going to stop. Because I could sense the momentum picking up. You know, when the show's going to close, they, they rally for this big finish. And the guy was saying something to the effect that, uh, that if anybody's been moved by what they've just heard, that they were supposed to come forward to this altar. And I'm looking for the altar, and I can't see any altar, because I've seen the movies, you know, where they put the maiden on the thing, and they, you know, <laughs> they didn't have anything like that. So I turned to my friend, I said, where's the altar? They forgot the altar, they blew it, they forgot. No, he says, that's that, that banister thing that goes right around there, and like that, around the, sta the stairs, and that's the altar. I said, that can't be the altar, they can't get any maiden on that altar, you know. He says, no, that's the altar. That's what they use for the altar, John. That's, what, that's the altar, all right. Okay, Dick, if that's the altar. And so I thought, well, anyway, this is dumb. Nobody's going to, I mean, this is 1963, you know. Nobody's going to come forward there and, and, and go to that altar. The next thing I know, some guy right behind me, about three rows, gets up and walks down the aisle. I watched him. I thought, he got one! <laughs> I guess he felt the same way because now he really got excited. He started talking faster and faster. And the next, this guy came and stood there, and the next thing I know, this uh, mother and, a, and, her, and her daughter, a teenage daughter, got up from the other side and they started walking forward and they were crying. I thought, oh no. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. Public display of emotion, you know. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. They stood there for a few moments, and then the guy said, now we're going to go into the inquiry room. And so I turned, and I said, what's the inquiry room? Dick said, I don't know. I've never been in there. You know? I said, what do they do to him? I don't know. I said, well, what's an inquiry anyway? He says, I don't know, John. I don't know the answer to that. And I said, well, when are they going to let us out? He says, real quick, real quick now. So all of a sudden, it was time to go. You know that feeling? I grabbed my kids. And I, I, you know, I started towards the door, and I'm going as fast as I can go. And as, as I'm going out the door, here comes Dick and Lynn, my friends, and they're coming across the lawn, and Dick waves at him, and he said, Well, John, how'd you like the church service? I said, Oh, man, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. That's the strangest, I mean, that's a weird group, man. I mean, why would it, that's weird, man. They're, those people are weird in there. Uh, how often do you have to do this? He said, Well, I, he said, I was going to invite you back tonight. I said, you go twice on Sunday? He said, I go every time they open the doors. And his, I could see in his face that his feelings were hurt. I said, you don't like these people, do you? He said, I love them, John. Well, about then, it was just after the Korean War, and they were talking about brainwashing in those days. And I said, man, they've washed your brains. You're, you're going to become one of them. He said, John, I already am. And I said, that's too weird, man. I could never do it. I could never join up with those people. Look how they dress. Look how they talk. Look how they act. Man, they're, they're weird. I can't relate to all their father. I can't relate to that, man. I can't do it. While I'm saying that, my wife's going, yes, we can. Yes, we can. We can do it. So we get in the car. We argue all the way home. We get home, and a few days later, uh, uh, we get this phone call, and, and uh, Lynn is saying, will you come to Bible study? I said, what's Bible study? Well, we, we, we all gather in our house, and we drink coffee and eat cookies and talk about the Bible. I said, do you do it very long? And she says, oh, a couple hours. A couple hours? I said, I can't do it, man. All I got is one night a week off. There's just no way I can do it. She said, what night is it? And I said, well, it's Monday night. 
I, you know, I, and your group's on Tuesday night, right? Or it was something like that. About an hour later, I get, we get a phone call. Well, it's switched. <laughs> switched. You ever been to Bible study? Have you? Well, we went. That first night we went, and there was a guy that was, his name was Gunner. And he was a welder, and I figured, well, a welder, he couldn't be too smart. So I'll go. And he was the Bible teacher. And we got there, and it was just Dick and Lynn, and my, my wife and I, and this guy named Gunner, and this other guy uh, named Bucky. It was a nice little group. And we sat down, and uh, I, I wasn't going to let this guy put anything over on me, you know. And I said, look, man, before we get started, let me just say in front, I don't believe all this stuff. He said, I understand that. And I said, uh, besides that, I, I don't want to know, about, I want to know about God. I've been trying to find out about God, and all you guys do is talk about Jesus. And I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about God. He said, well, that's because you don't understand that Jesus is God. I said, where does it say that? And so he began thumbing through the Bible and showing me different things in a verse. I mean, I didn't understand most of what he was saying, but he talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and talked, and he talked for about a half hour. And uh, when he got all through, I, I sensed that he thought he'd convinced me, and I said, well, that's really interesting. And, and uh, my friend Dick was sitting there, and he suddenly became the interpreter. Now, you've got to understand, I was a musician, and I didn't, I didn't know how to talk Christianese. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that, somebody would say, praise the Lord, or something. I remember a few weeks after I, I was there, somebody walked up to me and said, have you been washed in the blood, brother? I thought... I said, when do they make you do that? <laughs> and so I had a hard time with some of the images, you know, and, and the concepts that they were putting at me. And, and, uh, and so my, my friend Dick, uh, he interpreted for me. This guy would talk a long time, and then Dick would just sort of summarize it, you know, in some, uh, a phrase that made sense to me. Well, that's the way the evening went. After about two or three hours... I was really getting into it. You've got to understand, I was a night person. I was used to be, I, I mean, I was really awake at 11, 12, 1, 2, and 3. That's when I did my best work. And so this guy, you know, he's a welder. He gets up early in the morning. So about 11.30 or so, he's getting, you know, and I'm saying, well, you can go in a minute, but answer me this. And then I would ask him another question. And then another question. And he kept saying, boy, this guy's hungry. And I said, no, I ate before I came. I'm not hungry. But, but tell me this, you know. Tell me what this means, and tell me what that means. Well, it was the greatest night of my life. I went home so excited I couldn't sleep. You know, I stayed up all night and read the Bible. It was wonderful. I finally had some grasp of some ideas and some concepts. I finally had someone I could talk to. Well, two, it turned out to be Tuesday night. Tuesday night became the focal point of my life. I would wait all week to be there. We would drive up in, into Yorba Linda. We lived down in Fountain Valley area. We would drive up to Yorba Linda about 2 o'clock in the afternoon and just drive around because we thought God lived up there. <laughs> and we just drive around and talk about him, you know, and read the book and talk and talk and talk about all the things we were learning. We were super excited. Weeks went by. We didn't understand all the issues. I didn't know that the, the, what the Bible was. I didn't know who the Jesus was. I didn't know what he had done. And it took weeks to get the... I mean, you just don't understand. I didn't have any grasp of it. It wasn't simple for me. It was very complex, all of these things. And over a period of weeks, it began to pull together. And finally, I got the idea. Jesus is the Son of God. He died for sins. I, people have sinned. I understood that. It made sense. I didn't think I had sinned, but I understood that others had. <laughs> and so one night, we're all talking on this thing, and all of a sudden, my wife says, I think it's time to do something about this. And the guy closed his Bible, you know, real clear. And I thought, oh, no. And he said, so do I. And my wife and he are talking, and I'm watching him, and the next thing I know, she's kneeling on the floor and talking to the plaster. <laughs> and she's saying, oh, God, I'm heartily sorry for my sins. I thought, well, what'd she do? Because <laughs> she was a good guy, you know? I mean, I knew her. I'd known her real well. I thought she was a pretty good guy, you know? Not as good as I was, but a good guy. <laughs> and so she's talking, and I'm thinking, this is really strange. You know, she's doing this thing that they've all done. And I, and I said, one, two, three, wait a minute. And I'd been on a few stages in my life, and I knew it was about time for me to do my turn. When she finished, it was my turn. And I was 
I sat there and I thought, oh no. <laughs> They're not going to get, no, I'm not going to do this. And I remember I was sitting there and I was in the captain's chair and I had a hold of both handles, you know. <laughs> They're not going to drag me out of this chair, you know. And I'm sitting there and the next thing I know, I'm on my knees. Now, I don't know, to, to save my life, I don't know whether I got out of the chair or was shoved. <laughs> I know theologically that that's very important, but I've never been able to figure it out. <laughs> All I know was the next thing, I was on my knees and I was trying to pray this prayer of repentance they kept talking about, but I couldn't pray. All I could do was go, oh, oh, oh. For hours. I, it seemed like hours, at least a half hour. My nose is running. It's all over my chest, you know. My eyes are swelling shut. I'm sobbing. My body is racked with pain. And, I'm, and about 20 minutes into it, I'm realizing that I'm making an utter fool of myself. And I thought, if this doesn't work, I'm going to die. How will I explain this, you know? if this thing doesn't connect. And so the next thing I know, I'm ha I have a, a, a recollection. Years before, I'd gotten in, in, into a situation where I was out of money, came back to Los Angeles, this is when I was a traveling musician, and I needed some money, and I had a friend that did drugs, and he sold them, he was a connection, and he sold them in Pershing Square, you know, a great downtown. If you haven't been there, uh, you missed it. You had to be there. You had to visit it once to understand it. Pershing Square is a notorious park in the center of uh, Los Angeles. And so I went down there to find my friend who I knew would have some money because drug dealers always have money. And I, and I needed some money. I wanted to borrow some money from him. And uh, while I was waiting for him, it was kind of a miserable day, kind of rainy and everything. And I was waiting for him to come. And here comes this guy walking along, and he's got one of these signs, like an Eat at Joe's type of sign, you know, front and back. And on the front it said, I am a fool for Christ. And on the back it said, whose fool are you? Well, when I saw it at the time, I thought, oh, weird religious weirdo, you know, he went by. But here I am, all these years later, I'm kneeling on my friend's living room floor, I'm sobbing, I'm suddenly realized that I'm making a complete fool of myself, and I, and I remember that thing. I thought, that's it, that's it. I'm going to be his fool. That's it. And I resolved in my heart at that moment that from that point out, I was going to do the foolish thing in the eyes of the world. I didn't know it was going to be the foolish thing in the eyes of the church, too. <laughs> but I determined that night that if Christ was worth coming to at all, he was worth coming all the way with. And so I got up from there and I met a fool ever since, wherever I could be, in every way that I could. But my heart's intent has always been to be his fool. I, uh, I forgot to mention at the setup of that, that that was filmed in the early 80s. You may have, you may have picked up on that. <laughs> but I, I've honestly, I'm sure that over the years, because that's the, the opening session of a, um, of what was, like I said, a three to four day seminar. And so we, and because we've used that seminar in multiple times in multiple environments, and, and even just used this testimony just kind of broken out by itself, I've, I've probably seen that over a dozen times. And it, it never ceases to engage me in multiple ways. And I think one of the values of it is just this, this DNA of authenticity, of just being an ordinary people, trying to, to let go of the religious trappings of, of some of the things that we've done to Christianity and just say, we believe in an extraordinary God that wants to encounter people. And he's pursuing people. And we all have stories. And there's something powerful about just telling the story and coming back and circling back and telling the story again. Next week, we are, we are going to actually look at part two of this next week. Part two, that was the, the opening session is his story of how he came to faith. The second part is how the, the vineyard movement was birthed and, and kind of the, the DNA of who we are as a people. And so I want to invite you back for that next week. So 
in, in this one another series we're in, you make, make sure you do your devotions this week because we're not actually going to be in the text of that one anothering next week. We're just going to be, we're in, the, we're in it for the devotions, but next week we're going to watch part two of this. And so I want to invite you back. It's, it's going to be a special time. But as we close this morning, I just want to uh, impart two things. One, this idea of asking one another. Hey, what's, what's your faith story? You, you can use whatever language makes sense to you, but like I said at the beginning, the guy that I, I heard this from, that I just, you know, and I've had heard people's testimonies before, but just this deliberate practice he had of actually asking other believers, hey, tell me how you met Jesus. And, you know, I, and as I can imagine, you know, at the table that we were at, everybody actually had met Jesus. It was, it was a pastor's meeting. But I wonder what Jamie would do if somebody walked up and said, well, I don't know about Jesus. I think it would create an invitation to, be, to share his own story and, and to just share his faith story in an authentic way. So I want to encourage you to, to just tuck that in. Put that in your toolbox. That's just another tool in your toolbox. One in our life together because there's something really powerful. Again, the, the one anothering this morning is about, about getting to know one another by name. That's more than just actually remembering our names it's actually getting to know one another as who we really are. And there's something really powerful about our faith story. So I want to encourage you to share yours and ask other people theirs. Uh, we did this in, in my life group this, this year. We, as we met, we, we began each meeting with one person sharing their faith story. And it was really powerful. It was really beautiful. So I want to encourage you to do that. As we close this morning, I want to do two things. One, we have some words for prayer this morning. We have, our prayer team was, was praying. We had a time of just worship and prayer, even as we were just preparing for the morning in the chapel. And, um, and some of our prayer team sent some specific things that God wanted to minister to this morning. So we'll put those up on the screen. We're not, the, our ministry and prayer time isn't limited to these things, but these are specifically a few things that God put on people's hearts to pray into. So as we, as we kind of wrap things up this morning, we're just going to make some, some space for prayer. And part of that is if you have not begun a relationship with Jesus, we would love to talk with you about that. And the reality is, you know, the, there's this faith thing is a journey and there's steps along the way. I love that, that John went back and he recounted that it wasn't just this decisive moment that happened in the Bible study and, you know, and on Gunner's floor. Like there was a whole progression that led up to that. And if you're not, uh, if you don't know that you have a, a personal relationship with Jesus, you may have heard some things in this, in this story this morning that, that reminded you of, of steps along the way where you had these, these things that maybe seemed like coincidence, but actually it was God. It was the living God pursuing you. And, and if that's you this morning and, and you'd like to talk more about that, uh, we would love to talk with you. We'll have some of our pastors and prayer team members up here. And as we close this morning, we're just going to make some space for prayer and, uh, and, and let God do that. So... Um, I think Jesse's going to lead us a little bit of worship time. And uh, we'll just make some space. Would you, would you stand with me? If you're on the live stream, we have a, uh, an email that's prayer at vineyardboise.org. And you can send an email to that. If you include your phone number, uh, then we can have somebody actually call you and pray with you in person. Um, if you don't include your phone number, we'll still pray for you. It just won't be able to connect in person. Let's just close as we, um, let's just welcome God's presence. God, I thank you for your story and the fact that each one of us has a story that, that you desire to weave into your story. Lord, we thank you for the revelation that you are, are a God who is pursuing your creation, that you didn't create the world and then step away, but you continue to pursue and draw us back to you. Holy Spirit, we want to welcome your, your presence and your ministry this morning. Or for those who, who know you but need a, a touch from you today, need, a, need you to, to intervene in the circumstances of their lives and their loved ones, Lord, would you, 
to come. Lord, for any in this room or on this live stream who, who don't yet have a personal relationship with you, Holy Spirit, we invite you to continue to pursue hearts, awaken hearts, impart faith, the faith that would, that would allow us to even reach out to you and say, if you're real, would you show me, would you help me? Would you reveal yourself to me? Heavenly Father, we invite you to reveal yourself. As we pray for one another, would you give us the words to pray? Holy Spirit, would you empower and direct our prayers? So if you'd like to respond in any way this morning, I invite you to just come up to the front rows up here. We have a prayer team and pastors that would love to pray with you. Prayer team, if you guys would come too. Ordinary people with an extraordinary God. That's who we are. And we move towards him in faith. We move towards him in confidence of who he is. We do have a special opportunity this morning. Um, that's a, uh, Jason Chatraw is a member of our church family here. He's a, by vocation, he's a, an author and a publisher. And he's written a couple of books on John Wimber with Vineyard Resources, with Vineyard uh, USA. And he's going to have those available out in the Heritage Hall today. Uh, for sale that if you would like to pick a, a couple of those up. Uh, there's actually two versions right now and the, another one that's coming that's not out quite yet that's actually a 365-day devotional that each one has a little excerpt out of John's ministry and teaching and, and um, just continuing to impart that sort of DNA of who we are. So uh, if you'd like that this morning, Jason's going to be out in Heritage Hall just in front of the bookstore and um, would love to, to meet you and, and, uh, and help you with that with one of those books. So um, we're just going to close and encourage you if, you. if you would like to come for the meet and greet, uh, we're going to be out in Auditorium 2. I would love to meet you and maybe hear your story. Uh, so we're going to be in Auditorium 2 in about 15 minutes. And um, we're just going to make space as we end today, just space for ministry, space for prayer. So if you need prayer this morning, um, you're welcome to come. Apart from that, you're dismissed and free to go pick up your kids and make the invisible God visible wherever you go this week. Amen. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.